All right, welcome guys. Uh, it's, it's been a while, but welcome to the uh, latest episode of the A10 Talk podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Sam Basil, and today I'm joined by Jack Milko and Daniel Frank. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, Sam. How about yourself? Doing well. Ready to talk some A10 hoops. How about you, Daniel? Doing well. Happy to be back on the show. Happy to talk some A10 hoops with you guys. Let's roll. All right. And, you know, so we're, you know, right in the thick of it in terms of non-conference play. Uh, this has been a big November. We're getting into December now uh, for the entire country, but especially for the A-10. I feel like a lot of teams are on very different parts of their journeys this season. You know, some teams are way above expectations. Some teams are sneaking in some great wins. And then other teams are, you know, a little subpar. So we'll, we'll be able to talk about a lot of those uh, big storylines. But first, uh, I want to talk about, you know, something that I feel like we should talk about a lot more on this podcast and something that we've been increasing our coverage on a lot on A10talk.com, which is women's play in the A10. And so, you know, Daniel, you're probably one of our biggest, you know, pundits in terms of the women's game in the A10. So just as a general, you know, kind of state of the union kind of thing, how is A10's women's basketball looking so far this season? Well, this season is so far shaping up. It's looking like the best season the A-10 has had in a long time. They've been a one-bid league every single year since, I believe, 2015 or 16. And that is certainly looking like it's it's on pace to change right now. We have two teams at the top of the standings that uh, have just one loss. Um, and then we've got a couple others that are certainly in the running um as well so it, it's it's looking like a really strong start and frankly the women are in a far better position to get two or three bids than the men are right now yeah and so you know, just just as a uh just a as a rough estimate uh looking at this season so far if if the season were to end today and selection sunday was this sunday how many bids would the a10 get in the women's national championship probably two realistically but i think that there's, there's basically four serious contenders right now. I'll take you through them. The first is UMass. They were the runner-up in the A-10 tournament last year and made a Cinderella run, kind of surprised everyone. Um, but they arguably have the best player in the league in Sam Breen. Um, they um, are 8-1 and one with wins over Providence and South Dakota State um, and then lost by just five points to number 13, Iowa State, which is their only loss of the season. That was on a neutral floor in the Gulf Coast Showcase. Um, next team is Rhode Island, who won seven straight to start the year, including um, they also beat Providence, beat Virginia on the road, and as well as a very good Princeton team. Um, and their only loss is to an undefeated Long Beach State team. Um, so those are your two that you're probably looking at. Um, but then you've got two others that, that certainly deserve to have their name in the mix as well um, in Dayton and Fordham. Dayton is five and two. They have two power five wins in Purdue and Illinois. Um, but then Fordham has uh, went over Michigan State, St. Hall, Quinnipiac, and Houston. Um, and their only losses are Baylor, Arizona State, Notre Dame. So all of those losses are not going to hurt them uh, down the road. Rhode Island played my alma mater, Holy Cross, tonight in women's hoops. The Crusaders prevailed. Uh, my friend Avery LaBarbera had 20, 20 points for the Crusaders on 7 of 18 shooting. And the Holy Cross won 66-54 over URI. Well, you know, I guess if we were a uh, if we were a Patriot League podcast, we'd be we'd be pretty happy about that. But... Feel free to cut that out. I just want to. No, that's no, your just, second just straight to... loss. That's that's a I little just concerning. Want to bust your balls. But... Sorry. No, that's that's pretty good. I mean, for Holy Cross, I mean, considering, uh, I, I mean, just in terms of play, how much better the A10 is 
in comparison to the Patriot League. You know, no offense to the Patriot League. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, Daniel, going back to what you're saying, uh, I think that fight for that second bit is going to be really good. Uh, I mean, in terms of Fordham, I mean, Coach Gately has always been – I mean, she's a great coach in general. I think no matter who, you know, she takes on on the floor, I mean – She's always got a, you know, the ability to take her team to the win. But I mean, she's always done such a good job at, at building a strong non-conference schedule for Fordham. Uh, I mean, like you said, they played Notre Dame this year. Uh, I think I think that was in South Bend. Uh, it was, they, and it was a return game. They had a straight home and home with Notre Dame. Yeah, they're they're frequently playing against St. John's. I mean, they do a much better job at scheduling, uh, you know, kind of inter NYC games than the men's team does, uh, in my opinion. I mean. Fordham, Fordham men's, they're playing St. John's this Sunday, but I mean, that was the first time playing, playing the Johnnies in, in a couple of years. Um, so it's just, you know, building, not only building a resume, but giving your team, you know, quality tournament experience. And so while there is going to be a fight for that second bid, uh, I think right now that first bid, is, there's a, there's a clear front runner and that's UMass. Uh, and probably the biggest reason for UMass, you know, almost, clinching that bid now is because of Sam Breen, uh, you know, against we're recording this on Thursday. So last night against Fairfield uh, in a win, Sam Breen had 22 points and 16 rebounds. And that's going to, you know, add on to her average of 17 and 11 throughout the season. What's the gap between her and then the second best player in the a, in the a 10 for player of the year. It's hard to say because there's a lot of really talented players not just on the Atlantic 10, but frankly, on her team as well. I mean, you've got Desi Philoxy, you've got you just a whole host of, of Sid Taylor's there. I had a whole host of really good players on UMass. And then um, I, I don't think you can ever count. Like Kendall Jeremiah at Fordham is on a tear this season. She had like 30 points in the game against Michigan State. Anna DeWolf is also a walking bucket. She's guaranteed. And then, um, you know, Jenna Jaconi and Aaron Whalen down at Dayton. Um, I'll throw my Scott in there at George Mason just for funsies, but you know, I mean, Sam Breen, just the way she is right now is a walking bucket. Um, and I don't know how much or how little the gap is, but, but boy, she solicited, she certainly has solidified herself right now as the top player in the Atlantic 10, I think. And, you know, going down, going down, uh, for the rest of the season, heading into conference play. Uh, what are some of the biggest non-conference women's games that you'll that you'll want fans to check out? I mean, for me, I think I'll have to go next Wednesday when uh, UMass actually hosts BC in Amherst. But do you have any kind of picks? Yeah, you know, I'm really curious on how uh, Florida is going to respond with playing Dayton next week. I think that's going to be a really good yardstick for for a lot of A10 teams. Florida is an interesting common denominator. They play four teams this year in the Atlantic 10. They handled GW pretty easily, um, as well as St. Louis, who's off to a pretty rough start. Um, but then give all, all the credit in the world to George Mason last night. Um, they took down Florida 75-71 at Eagle Bank Arena. Uh, a George Mason team that a year ago had three wins has now doubled their win total already with their new coaching staff from Vanessa Blair-Lewis. They're now 6-3, and three, beat Florida. Um, so I'm very curious how Florida's going to, Florida gets Dayton at home in Gainesville. Um, and Dayton is, is still one of those teams that's really, you know, at the, at the top of the league, the upper echelon. That's going to be a really interesting kind of yardstick for both teams, I feel like. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the run that George Mason, George Mason is on, but how about the Bonnies? 
Uh, like we were saying right before the podcast, they were picked 13th in the preseason poll, I believe, and now they're 5-1. and one. So what's their ceiling this year? I mean, is it just, you know, make a deep run in the A-10 tourney? Is it possibly, you know, steal a bid from UMass? What's, what's a realistic goal for the Bonnies right now? I would say pump the brakes a little bit on the Bonnie hype there. They, all of their wins are against pretty lower tier competition. They don't have quite the, the Florida win that George Mason has um, to, to really solidify their, I mean, yes, they, they've won all the games are supposed to win, which is a substantial change. I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of people surprised that, that there was not a coaching change made in the off season in Olean. Um, that being said, they may put together a slightly easier schedule, but unlike in years past for Bona, where they lost all of these games, they're now winning all these games, which is good to see. I think it'll be good to see why we're really not going to have a good sense until they get to conference play because they just don't have a tough non-con schedule. But I mean, they're they're looking dangerous at the moment. I mean, they have some nice transfer pieces. They have they're basically a whole new roster for all intents and purposes. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I would I wouldn't quite say they're on their bid stealer yet. Um, they may win one or two games, but who knows? I mean, it, it is, we are in December, early December. There's a long way to March and anything can happen on that entire way to March. We'll have you covered for all a 10 women's hoops on a 10 talk.com. Daniel's doing a great job. Nathan Strauss is doing a great job. And we've got, you know, Zach Weiss as well. Got a shout out Zach, Zach Weiss. Weiss, of course. And so now moving on uh, over to the men's game, this, these past two weeks are I would have to say are probably my favorite part of uh, the non-conference portion of all of college basketball, especially in the A-10, because it's MTE season. You know, uh, teams all around the country are flying down to Cancun, flying down to Orlando, Florida, to play these awesome exhibition tournaments where we're really getting to see, like, how these schools will fare on a national stage. And maybe I might be overreacting, guys, but looking at how – all the A-10 teams played in their MTEs, I think the conference is, uh, is in pretty good shape. How Would you guys agree? Absolutely. I mean, we look at what the Bonnies just did in Charleston. They beat Boise State, Clemson, and then they dominated Marquette in the final. Uh, and, of course, I, after that, Bonaventure was ranked 16th in the country before losing to Northern Iowa last week. But then look at what happened last Friday with Dayton, the unbelievable buzzer beater over Kansas. So I, I think the conference has got some recognition. People around the country are starting to realize that, yeah, the A-10 can hang. And they, I, I would rule the MTEs a great success overall for the conference. I talking think- about Dayton's game specifically against Kansas, I mean, that entire tournament, I would say, was led by their, by their young core. I mean, Deron Holmes had an amazing tournament. Uh, Malachi Smith was, was excellent. And um, I think Mustafa Amzil had the uh, – had the, the game winner against Kansas. I mean, how scary is Dayton going to be over the next couple of years? Dayton's going to be very good. And it's amazing because I feel like every year they just reload, right? I mean, we're what, two years removed from a top five team in the country. And all of a sudden they're going to threaten the conference again. Now we do know that Dayton got off to a rough start, but they're the youngest team in the country. Sometimes get growing pains and they lose those three bye games. Of course, Rothstein is going to say the epitome of brutality, but I think they redeemed themselves, right? I mean, Daniel, I mean, would you would you think they redeemed themselves against the, you know, fourth best team in the country? I, I would certainly say so. I, I think this was a conversation that I had on Twitter the, the first week of the season when both VCU and Dayton had some pretty ugly losses and everyone was 
fire Mike Rhodes, fire Anthony Grant, sell the team, whatever. VCU, much like Dayton, I refuse to pronounce dead until it's like a, a villain in a movie. You, until you, unless you see them die on screen, they're probably not really dead. VCU absolutely had a rough start too. And then they went and looked just fine. They beat Syracuse down in the battle for Atlantis. And obviously a similar story with Dayton. I mean, neither of these teams, I think you can just count them out after one or two bad losses. I mean, yes, Dayton's losses were, were some ugly losses. Now there, there's some caveats and asterisks you can throw in there. If you're looking to make excuses for them, like Lipscomb is, I believe the number one three point shooting team in the nation and blah, blah, blah. You know, there, there's those storylines. If you're looking to make excuses, you shouldn't lose that game in the story, but Certainly a win like Kansas and the way that they, they won all of those games, there's no question Dayton's back, I think. And how great was that Dayton-Kansas game? To unbelievable. Have, to have Dick Vitale on the call for that. Too. That was unbelievable. His call, and just to have Vitale's a great story as a whole this season. I mean, the, the emotions he showed in that Gonzaga-Duke game, and then just to, that was that is something that is going to be special. We don't know how much longer he's going to be around doing these games. And to have him on that Dayton call is something special for the Atlantic 10. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. <laughs> Speaking of the energy of these games and at these MTEs, uh, I mean, aside from just how well the Bonnies played overall in all three of their games, um, I think one thing that a lot of people were talking about on social media and even on TV was how well the Bonnies crowd traveled. Uh you know, from all the way from only New York, if that's where the Bonnies really play, all the way down to, you know, Charleston. I mean, what what does that say about how riled up these fans are this year? It was unbelievable. Uh, and I guess what was really special, the second game against Clemson, right, Bonaventure, they're trailing 51-37, 13-30 to go. Ken Palm had it as a 9.2% win probability at that point. And I actually turned to one of my friends in the stands and I said, we might as well pack it in. I think it's over. But a few threes here and there, and Bonna eventually went 10 to 12 in the second half, and the place just erupted. And to even further to your point, they're playing Clemson, which is in the state of South Carolina. It felt like Bonaventure was the home team. I could not believe the crowd. And in, in pure Bonaventure fashion, right, the alumni relations office did such a fantastic job in setting up a whole weekend around the tournament. Three hours before the tip-off, we were at the Bay Street Beer Garden in Charleston, South Carolina. There must have been 1,500 Bonnies fans there drinking beer, buying shirts, talking with everybody, so fired up about the team. And, of course, last year with no fans, it was almost a reunion of sorts, right? And that was really my first time that I saw the Bonnies play in person since before the pandemic hit. And I got, and I also have another story about that weekend, which I think was awesome. And this really just embodies what Bonaventure is all about. So the Bay street beer gardens in Charleston, big outdoor parking lot, great bar inside. And of course at four o'clock on Sunday before the championship game is at seven 30 pregame starts at five. Father Ross says mass for all the Bonnie fans there. And then the pregame follows right after that. It was such a cool scene. Charleston was flooded in brown and white. I think aside, West Virginia probably had the second most fans, but I thought for sure that the, that the brown and white dominated, dominated Charleston. It was an unbelievable turnout. And so in about two weeks, you guys take on UConn at the Prudential Center. So if Bonnie's fans are, are willing to go all the way down to South Carolina, um, do you think there's a chance you can even beat out the UConn crowd in New Jersey? 
the pregame's already sold out. Wow. <laughs> pregame, the pregame in Newark is already sold out. That's a, how uh, many people are we talking? Uh, you got to think Bonaventure is a small school, but they'll probably get 2,500 fans. I would suspect oh, which, that'd be amazing, which for Bonaventure, right? They're not a big school, but they're loud, they're passionate and they love their Bonnies. So I, I, I would think it's going to be a terrific atmosphere, uh, come December 11th against UConn. Do you have a ticket? Are you going? I am trying to get a credential. So we'll see if I can't get credentials, <laughs> then I'll get the ticket. That's the way to go. That's, that's always, that's always been my move. Um, and so of course, you know, aside from how important this game is in terms of, you know, getting the fans there uh, you know, right now, I think UConn is ranked 17th in the country and Bonnie's in this most recent uh, in this re- most recent a-, a people after losing to Northern Iowa fell out of the top 25. Uh, so do you think this is probably the Bonnie's biggest chance to get back into the, into AP rankings before conference play? I would say so. So they got UConn on the 11th and, the, and followed up by Virginia Tech on the 17th down in Charlotte, North Carolina, which, oh, by the way, Charlotte is another Bonnie's hotbed. A lot of Bonnie's flock down there and live in Charlotte. So that's going to be another big game with a lot of Bonaventure people. But they've got Buffalo on Saturday. And a lot of Bonaventure people over the last few weeks have really tried to take this non-conference season one game at a time. So everybody in Charleston, the mood and the and just kind of the tone was, all right, beat Boise, focus on Boise. All right, we took care of business there. Let's beat Clemson. Well, we didn't think we were going to beat Clemson with 13 minutes ago, as I alluded to earlier, but lo and behold, they did. And then we took care of business against Marquette. And I think there was a little bit of a hangover against Northern Iowa. They gave up 90 points to the Panthers last Saturday. I was at that game. This guy, A.J. Green, he's going to be the Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year. He was just unconscious. Nine of 15 from three. No singular player has made nine threes against the Bonnies in over a decade. Just could not miss. It was unbelievable. It was tied 30-30 with four minutes to go till halftime. Nora and I will led 47-34. Green rifled off 17 straight. So going back and taking one game at a time, Bonnie still has two games to play before they take on UConn a week from Saturday. And it's Buffalo this Saturday, a big Western New York rival. Buffalo's a top 100 team. Watch out for Jonathan Williams. Also watch out for Josh Mbala. And, of course, we saw the other night against Coppin State. Lofton, he probably won't play. We shall see. It looked like a left leg injury late in the game. He was helped off the floor. I'm assuming he's not going to play on Saturday. So that – of course, makes it even tougher. They've got a tougher hill to climb against the Bulls. And the next ones that they got Loyola. So, yes, UConn's going to be tough. I think UConn is a potential Final Four candidate. They've got three guys that shoot more than 40% from the field. They've got the big guy inside, Sonogo. He averages 15.6 a game and 6.3 boards a game. That's going to be a really tough matchup for the Bonnies, especially if Lofton isn't healthy. As you know, Lofton, preseason Bob Cousy Award winner. So, with We'll just have to see, but uh, I think it's just one game at a time now. Make sure the guys are healthy come conference play because at the end of the day, conference play is going to be most important. And so talking about Lofton, of course, Lofton is one of the best. He's one of the best players on the team. He's one of the best players in the A-10. There's, there's no way to argue, uh, you know, a bright side into having Lofton out. 
Of course, we're still unsure uh, the details of this injury, but I think earlier on in the season, we talked about how deep this Bonnie's team is. Who is St. Bonaventure going to look to on the wing, you know, when, when Lofton's not there? Right now, they're last in the country in bench minutes again. They have 13.8% of their minutes played. That's the bench. And that's the average is 31% for the country, just to give you some perspective. And now they're going to be forced to turn to the bench pending the severity of Lofton's injury. Uh, I think Jaron Holmes uh, is going to take over the point guard duties, right? He's, he's one of the captains of the team, one of the leaders of the team, and he can handle the ball beautifully. He can also dish it. Uh, I don't think he's as good as a passer as Lofton, but what I love about Holmes is he can get to the rim. And I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, the bonnet guards need to get to the rim because that not only will open up Oshunayi, but it'll also open up guys like Dom Welch on the wing. Uh, I could also see Quadri Adams coming in, getting some valuable minutes. The Wake Forest transfer, obviously he played in the ACC, so he does have some experience handling the ball. He's not going to score a lot of points, but he's great defensively, and he can also really pass it as well, too. Uh, and I'm also very interested to see if Schmidt's going to employ a lineup with Shun and Koulibaly playing at the four, kind of have a bigger lineup, and then have Welch at the three, or excuse me, uh, Attaway at the three, Welch at the two, Holmes at the one. I think Koulibaly's been our most successful role player to this point, but against Northern Iowa in the loss last Saturday, the bench only saw six minutes of action. And when Schmidt was asked this in his press conference on Tuesday, his response was, we were down big and we needed our veteran guys to get back in the game. And I thought this was a very interesting point because Bonnet came back and tied the game at 62 with about 12 minutes ago, and the Riley Center was going nuts. But, of course, when you're down 12 and you've got an Ironman 5 like the Bonnies do, to come back like that and play as hard as they do, it's exhausting. And I think they just simply got tired. They had a long week the week before in Charleston. And, of course, fatigue caught up to them, and they couldn't hold on at home against Northern Iowa. Uh, but with that, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what Schmidt does to see if he can get some more minutes out of the bench because at this point they're going to need them. That's going to be a big challenge. I mean, you talk about uh, getting more guys down low, getting more guys inside, and it seems like the biggest obstacle for the Bonnies to make that change is, is managing fatigue and managing energy you know, kind of a follow-up to asking how they can get back into the top 25. Is that even a reasonable goal? I mean, should the Bonnies even, is that something that the Bonnies should even be striving for? Or should they kind of just, you know, look to survive before heading into conference play so they don't kind of, you know, wear themselves out and give the opportunity for, you know, a St. Louis or a, uh, a Dayton to kind of sneak in there? You know, it's a great question because it could go both ways, right? I mean, everybody was so fired up for the season at the beginning of the year. They've got the hardest non-conference schedule that they've had in Schmidt's tenure. Uh, the UConn and Virginia Tech games are huge games. I mean, Bonaventure gave up a game against historical rival Niagara to take on Virginia Tech, knowing that they were going to be a top 30 team this year. So part of me says, yeah, go for it. You got to go for it. And because I actually tweeted this out the other day, Bonaventure being ranked in the top 25 is important simply on the basis of recognition. We all know rankings don't mean anything in December, but when recruits and different pundits around the country are looking at the top 25 scoreboard on ESPN.com or CBS sports or wherever they get their basketball news and they see St. Bonaventure, that's going to resonate with them. And that's important. Um, so I think going back to what I said earlier, taking things one step at a time and letting the rankings take care of themselves is the approach they should take. 
And right now all the focus is on Buffalo and I'm sure Schmidt would tell you the same exact thing. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, it's kind of this, this answer that I've been kind of, you know, fighting with myself for, you know, for, for, uh, the entire day today leading up to the recording of this podcast. I mean, realistically, the top 25 in terms of basketball has has no real bearing on on your team's success moving forward. It's not like the college football playoff where you have to be ranked in the top four. Uh, but like you said, I mean, it's important for recruits. It's important for getting bids for the for the rest of the A-10. So, I mean, I guess I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And before we move on, to, oh, yeah, Danny, you want to go for something right there? Yeah, if I could just jump into, I think it does matter tremendously to the fans. I think when George Mason beat Maryland, now this feels like a very long time ago as Mason's had 10 days off and coming off four straight losses. That was the first time that Mason had got a vote in the AP poll. They had one single vote. First time in over 10 years. That mattered to Mason fans. Like, they're not going to sniff that all the rest of the season after they went and lost all the games in South Dakota. But that meant something to Mason fans. And, and, and on a similar note too, GW, the year, I think it was the year they won the NIT, I believe. I think it was after they beat Virginia, got ranked, um, and they went and laid an egg and lost it to Paul. And they were, had one week in the AP poll, and that was it. But that one week meant a lot to GW fans. It was the first time they'd been ranked since the 06 season, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And, and yes, absolutely. Rankings have in December have no bearing on how you're necessarily going to do, but it, it really does mean a lot to the fans. And, and, and I, th- I would imagine the players as well from that standpoint. And just to add to that, Daniel, you're exactly right. It's so important for the fans. This is the first time since the Bob Lanier days that the Bonnies have been ranked. It's 1971, right? And it's amazing. And to go back to my point, one game at a time, Right. Next up is Buffalo. And I want to turn this over to you, Daniel, since you're a GW correspondent. Maceo Jack, a Buffalo native, is playing for the UB Bulls. What can you tell me about him? Maceo Jack is going to give you everything that he can on any given night. Um, He was at GW for, I believe, two and a half seasons, left midway through last season. His mother is actually the head women's basketball coach at Buffalo. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's why I believe he went up there. Um, He's not a guy that's always going to appear in the stat sheet, he's, you know, sometimes he'll have like an odd 10 point odd night or whatever. That's not usually his bet, his bread and butter necessarily. He's just a scrappy guy. He's going to be on the floor diving for loose balls. Um, just a, a real heart guy. You'd love to have on your roster um, and a good defender as well. Um, I would not be surprised to see if he's, if he's on, you know, ball most of the game. Yeah. And of course with Lofton's injury, and if he does not play, that just fills a void for the Bonnies even more, because that's a tough matchup. Jack's, Jack is obviously a very, very good point guard. Absolutely. And again, he's someone that I think, I mean, he's obviously Atlantic 10 caliber, right? He started at GW. He was starting at GW when he transferred away. There were a lot of questions why someone that was starting transfer midseason. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. But I mean, this is a guy that is, you know, this is a, a guy that's, that's a Mac level talent. He's an Atlantic 10 starter. Um, and now he's on Buffalo and I think that's going to be interesting matchup to watch. Actually, funny, funny enough, uh, talking about, uh, a 10 talent in Buffalo, Ty Perry, who played at Fordham for two years, uh, who transferred in this most recent offseason, is also at Buffalo, not getting as many minutes as, uh, Maceo Jack, but you know, I guess that's just me trying to slide Fordham into, into every conversation. But speaking of Fordham, I would just, I would, I would just like to take a quick second to talk about their performance at the Gulf Coast Showcase last week. Uh, you know, 
a 20 point win over Akron, a, a close loss to Delaware. I believe they lost by 10 points and then a win in over rice in the, in the third place game. I don't, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too hasty, but I think Fordham, uh, there's, there's something really to be said about how Fordham has really been able to come together as a team, considering how many, you know, experienced guys are on that team for the, in their first year with Fordham, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of what uh, coach Neptune's been talking about at post games, uh, this, this team seems really hungry to win considering it's a, it's the last chance for a lot of these guys. I mean, Darius Quisenberry, is a graduate. Chuba Ohams is a is a graduate student. So you know, not not saying that they might they might steal a bit from anybody, but I think th- this this team's got a lot of experience, and uh, as long as they can work out kind of their their three point shooting woes, uh, I feel like they they're really good at you know getting a, a good shot set up, but sometimes that shot's just not falling. Uh, and as long as they can figure that that kind of situation out, I think they might be a pretty solid uh, team in the A ten this year. Maybe a bit better than you know that 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 six and twelve preseason prediction that I I gave him uh, early on this season. And I think more to the point too. I think you could pencil Fordham as at their their floor is thirteenth place. I think right now. I I think unequivocally there's at least two teams we can all agree on are worse than Fordham right now, which you probably have not been able to say for a while. Um, and I mean no disrespect to Fordham in that regard. Um, but there are Fordham is a looking better than certainly than two teams right now. And there are certainly two teams that I think are worse, and that would be um, LaSalle and GW. And again, hate to say it about GW, but second straight loss that they took at home where they led by eight or more at the half and then lost tough times in foggy bottom right now. And and to go back to Fordham, I absolutely loved, loved the hire of Kyle Neptune, right? Fordham finally hired a coach with New York City roots. He understands the New York City basketball scene. And oh, by the way, he's a Jay Wright guy. How do you not love the hire? I, I think Fordham could easily avoid the pillow fight this year for the first time in a long time and have their first game on Thursday of the A-10 tournament. So how's that for a hot take, gentlemen? I mean, I think I, I, I couldn't support that take more. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more that, you know, I've never been more excited for Fordham basketball than I have been uh, this year under Kyle Neptune. And honestly, that excitement has not really wavered. You know, there was a couple, there was a couple games where I don't really think they were playing up to their, up to their full potential. I think that game against Manhattan, they kind of like get away from themselves and especially that game against uh, Maryland Eastern shore, but you know, they recognize that and they understand that. And they've, you know, they've accounted for those, for those, you know, momentary lapses in their offense. Um, and so finally moving on to our final topic of the night, this next topic is kind of, you know, maybe uh, an investigative portion of the podcast. I mean, we're not going full true crime, but I figure we might as well, you know, kind of dip our toes into it a little bit. And it's it's just a mystery to me of of the Davidson Wildcats. Uh, I feel like whenever I'm watching uh, non-conference A-10 basketball and even conference play, every time I flip on a Davidson game, I watch them and I think to myself, man, this team is so good. And not a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, I've always thought that they move the ball so well. Uh, Hyungjun Lee is having an amazing season so far. I think he's the he's the leading scorer in the A10 in terms of points per game. And of course, you've got Bob McKillop, uh, the longest tenured coach in the conference that's been there for, you know, 30 some odd years and shows no sign of slowing down. So I know you guys are more of a Bonnie's and and GW focused couple of guys but 
am I am I overreacting or or is is Davidson you know a legitimate contender in the A10? Hard to say, truthfully. I mean, the level of competition they face has not been great. Um, they, their only top 100 opponent they faced was San Francisco, um, and that was they ended up losing that game. Uh, really bizarre game that got down by a lot, came all the way back and lost by five. Um, Ken Palm was that as a semi away game. They're only top two. They have two top 200 wins. They're f- of their five. Delaware's 147 and East Carolina's 167. So there's that. And their other two, their other wins are Penn 213, Robert Morris 291, Charlotte 235. Their remaining games until you get to conference play 320 William and Mary. 159 Northeastern, 253 Radford, and then the obvious outlier here, 30th. The brand new to the Atlantic Conference. Welcome to the Loyal Ramblers, Loyal Chicago. So, you know, we'll we'll have that'll be a fun little teaser, if you will, appetizer for Loyal to join the Atlantic 10. But despite all of that, then and the numbers not looking great. Davidson's 69th in Ken Palm, which is pretty nice. Uh, but in, in their offensive numbers, they're 41 in offensive adjusted efficiency. Um, I mean, all the things that you associate and expect Davidson to be good at, Davidson team looks good at. I mean, it's hard to write them off. I mean, Jack, what do you think? Talk to me. I completely agree. You can never write off Bob McKillop. Watching his offense is a thing of beauty. And over the last few years, especially with Kellen Grady, uh, one of my best friends from college actually played with Kellen in high school. They won a state title together in Massachusetts. And uh, so we had watched Davidson all the time. And it's almost like watching college versions of Golden State. And to go back to your semi-away point against San Francisco, Davidson played San Francisco on Steph Curry's home floor at the Chase Center for that game. So it was pretty cool. It goes full circle for the Davidson Wildcats. But I I agree. I think they're going to be a top-half team in the Atlantic 10. You just can't count them out. Lee is such a stud. I think he can score at all three levels. He's averaging close to 19 points per game. And he's going to give team fits, especially on their home floor. I feel like every time Bonaventure goes down to Davidson, that's always a tough game. And put the Bonnies aside, any team playing at Davidson is such a tough game. Well, and isn't St. Louis always due for a loss at, at Davidson? Has St. Louis won at Davidson since they joined the conference? I know this is something we talked about before. I, I feel like St. Louis is that team that always comes into Belk Arena and comes out with a loss. I mean, and that always helps Davidson's numbers because Slew has always been good the last couple of years too. St. Louis has not won uh in belk arena since davidson has joined the conference so there you go yeah they're 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 on a they're on a at least a three-game skid uh at belk arena right now and i mean i gotta say too i mean out of the couple you know other venues i've been to in the atlantic 10 i mean chaffetz and and belk are probably two of the toughest arenas to play in in the conference um i mean it's just just the energy in there is, is unmatched and, and and jack you had something to say there yeah, I was going to say the only time Bonaventure has won at Davidson, and I'm just going off the top of my head, was when Marcus Posley back in 2015 nailed a buzzer beater over Davidson. And of course, three days later, he followed that up with yet another buzzer beater to beat a top 25 ranked VCU team on a Saturday afternoon at the Riley Center. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess if the Atlantic 10 tournament was at Belk Arena, maybe they'd, maybe they'd win every year. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just going to be, you know, interesting to see how, how everything plays out in conference play. And so, you know, 
that's going to wrap it up uh, for this week. But before we go, you know, there was no, there were no A10 games on Thursday in terms of the men's, and there are no men's games on Friday. But this weekend, we've got a pretty full slate of uh, A10 action. So I just wanted to, you know, have your guys' picks for, you know, games to games for fans to check out this week. I mean, Jack, are you going to be checking out LaSalle taking on your Holy Cross? Absolutely. The LaSalle Explorers are hosting Brett Nelson and my alma mater, Holy Cross Crusaders. Holy Cross comes in at two and six. LaSalle, of course, we've talked about is kind of a seller of the Atlantic 10. I will be honest with you. This is an opportunity for LaSalle to pick up a win. Holy Cross has been struggling over the last few years. Brett Nelson's in his third year of the program. And as the former play-by-play guy for the Crusaders, my senior year, when I was in Worcester, the team went three and 29 and they haven't gotten much better since. And so kind of a follow-up question that uh, also uh, there's going to actually be two Holy Cross teams uh, playing in Philadelphia on Saturday, or I'm sorry, one, one's going to be playing in Philadelphia on Friday when the football team takes on Villanova in the FCS playoffs. So, I mean, I know this is kind of drifting away from our usual, uh, you know, rundown, but uh, what, what do you like about that game? We'll see. Uh, Holy Cross has actually beat Sacred Heart on a last-second touchdown last week in the FCS playoffs, which is pretty cool. Of course, we can kind of talk about the Patriot League a little bit since Fordham does play in the Patriot League for football, so it's kind of a little A-10 connection. But uh, we'll see. Villanova's fifth-ranked team in the country. Holy Cross is an underdog. If they pull out the win, great. If not, they've won three Patriot League titles in a row, which is awesome. Awesome for Holy Cross. Keep an eye out for Bob Chesney. He's a Holy Cross head coach. He's going to be big time pretty soon. All right. And so, you know, back to back to your scheduled programming. Daniel, what are the biggest A-10 games that you'll be checking out this weekend? I want to get to put out three out here. I'm going to give you two women's games and two men's game, uh, one men's game, rather. Two women's teams are hosting Power 5 opponents this weekend. On Sunday afternoon, you're not watching the NFL anyway. So here's what you should be watching. <laughs> One o'clock on Sunday, VCU hosts Boston College. VCU is sneakily having a very nice season. They um, had a, some really nice wins over the Thanksgiving week. Um, Rams won the Atlantic 10 a year ago. Can't ever count them out. One o'clock Sunday, ESPN Plus. And then two o'clock Sunday, ESPN Plus, George Washington hosts Virginia. Uh, the third, I believe, uh, A-10 team in a row that UVA is playing. Um, GW is sneakily putting it together. They're now five and three, I believe. They had a win over James Madison tonight. Um, GW might be turning a corner there with their new coaching staff and Carolyn McCombs. So shout out to them. Um, but back to the men's side, the game I'm most interested in, just from an Atlantic 10 standpoint, and I say this with an obvious bias, yet I think it also holds true. George Mason, Old Dominion Saturday night. George Mason had the best start, I think, of anyone not named, say, Bonaventure in the conference. Four and zero to start, one at Maryland. We were seriously having a conversation about George Mason being a top four contender in this conference. And then the wheels just fell off the bus, a a tough loss to James Madison. And then three just really lackluster showings in South Dakota with uh, what Washington, Nevada, and then South Dakota state. Um, Mason's going to be shorthanded for at least the next two games. We do not know who it is, but one of the members of the team who's vaccinated has COVID. Um, so we don't know who that's going to be. We don't know how that's necessarily going to impact the team. Um, but everyone else seems to, uh, has tested negative as of today. So the game's on and everything seems normal. But George Mason needs a response. There are 10 days off since that South Dakota State game. Very bizarre scheduling there. 
this is a must-have for Mason. If Mason has any shred of momentum left, they need to have this game against Old Dominion. Otherwise, who five losses in a row is a tough, tough pill to swallow. And I love that you mentioned Mason Old Dominion. It's a great in-state rivalry, right? Two solid programs in the state of Virginia. And I want to give you two other big 8-10 in-state games this weekend. Obviously, we talked about Bonaventure and Buffalo earlier. The battle for Western New York, Western New York's top two teams. But we've already circled there. I'm going to go to the smallest state in the country, Rhode Island. They are playing Providence this weekend. It's Appointment TV, CBS Sports Network, 2 p.m. Rhode Island starting 6-2 and two this year. Can they beat the Providence Friars of the Big East, who started off 7-1? and one? It's a tough test. Do you think Rhodey can do it? I think so. I mean, I'm, and I'm so glad you brought that one up, too, because I was actually going to bring that one up as well. Um, you know, maybe this might be a little bit biased because I work with some guys that, uh, you know, go to Bryant University. But, you know, for a state that's so small and a state that just has with just four Division I uh, athletic programs, uh, they got Bryant, they've got Providence, they've got Rhodey, and they've got Brown. The basketball culture and, you know, the interstate rivalries uh, between those four teams is is unmatched. I mean, the energy in there is, is so insane. And I think it's something that, you know, because it, it's so small and it gets so little coverage that a lot of people, you know, really underestimate uh, how big of a rivalry game that can be. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Uh, also, George Mason, Old Dominion, uh, in terms of, you know, maybe kind of a speculation game in terms of uh, another team that could join uh, the A-10, as well as uh, George Washington, uh, George Washington, Charlotte on Saturday. But uh, outside of those, I guess my biggest game this weekend is going to have to be Fordham going to Queens to take on St. John's on Sunday. Uh, I think so far this might be Coach Neptune's biggest test uh, you know, as, you know, testing the limit of his, his reputation as a New York guy, he's got New York connections. So let's see how he continues to do against some real, you know, top tier New York basketball programs. I think he's two and one against, uh, NYC based teams so far this season. So let's see if he can make it three and one. I want to know why WFUV and Fordham alumnus, Mike Breen couldn't book the garden for the Rams and the Johnnies. You got to play a Carnesecca arena. What's up with that, Mike? Come on. You never know. I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, St. John's funny, funny enough that you say that because Mike Breen was at the, uh, he was at the Fordham St. Francis game on Wednesday night. Uh, you know, he made it, made a quick appearance there, but I think it's, it's more of St. John's. Uh, they, they, I, I think they save those, those MSG games, uh, you know, for the big guys, you know, like Nova Providence, all those teams that you're no telling really me cares. Fordham's not a big guy. No, I'm, that's what I was about to say. It's like they save it for the games that like Heresy. no one's going to watch. And they, 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 they stick, you know, Fordham St. John's at Carnesecca Arena where I got to take like three trains and two buses to get to from Queen. I'm in the, I'm in the same borough right now as St. John's. And I got to take like four buses, three trains. It's, it's ridiculous. But I mean, you know, if you want to hear me rant about public transportation, uh, maybe just follow me on Twitter and I'll save that. Uh, so I don't have to waste your guys' time on the A10 Talk podcast. But, uh, you know, with, with that being said, I think we're going to end, uh, we're going to end this week's episode. So a lot of great games being played so far, a lot of great games to come and we'll be here for all of it. So make sure you stay on A10talk.com. Follow us on Twitter at A10talk. Follow myself, Sam Basil, 
Jack Milko, Daniel Frank, and all of our great contributors to, you know, one of the best websites for one of the best conferences in the NCAA. So have a good night, everyone.